ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to the audio edition of the Weekly Roundup, where we examine some of the key trends and developments that pertain to the asset management industry across Singapore, Hong Kong, and mainland China. This episode, we are looking at the major headlines that occurred across the week of June 27 to July 1st. So let's dive in. Starting off with a look across Asia-Pacific, Fleischmann Hillard, a public relations and marketing agency, in their inaugural Future of Asset Management in Asia report, identify credibility, performance, and service fees as the main factors influencing Asian investors in their choice of asset manager, as per a release. The report found that foreign asset managers were preferred over local ones for their performance, as selected by 53% of respondents, track record, 45% of participants, and trustworthiness, 43% of those surveyed selecting this. Asian investors also valued asset managers which were transparent in their customer communication, selected by 92% of respondents, transparent regarding their fee disclosures, 89% of participants, offered sophisticated risk management capabilities, 90% of those surveyed, and had strong ESG products, as reported by 78% of those surveyed. Further findings from the survey include, with the exception of South Koreans, investors in Asia have a strong preference for investing in the APAC region. There is also strong interest for investment in new themes, such as non-fungible tokens, cryptocurrencies, and the metaverse, which is largely driven by investor interest from Hong Kong, and over half of those surveyed use online methods for investing in funds, with independent financial advisors and wealth managers following. The survey was conducted online by Fleischmann Hillard True Global Intelligence and encompassed 418 investment professionals in mainland China, Hong Kong, Singapore, and South Korea over the period April 27 through May 5, 2022. All respondents self-identified as working in investment, finance, or banking, and had traded or invested in at least one of the following fund types, equities, fixed income, exchange-traded funds, alternatives, balanced, or private equity. Moving on to Singapore, a report from Amundi, a French asset manager, and a Singaporean publication, The Business Times, shows that whilst 76% of individuals surveyed were engaged investors who placed the search for impact at the heart of their investment decisions, there was a divergence between investment values and where money was invested, with 56% of investors surveyed holding ESG investments. Further findings include, half of respondents were actively having conversations with their financial advisors on ESG investments. The average portfolio allocation towards ESG investments among those surveyed was 31%, 8% of 
of respondents perceived financial investments as leverage for ongoing environmental and societal changes, and 69% agreed that they were most interested in ESG investing post-pandemic. The survey occurred over April through May 2022 and encompassed 1,046 respondents who were 21 years old and above with monthly income of at least 5,000 Singapore dollars and who were currently investing or intended to invest in the future specifically towards ESG products. Next up, AIA Singapore, the Singaporean operations of the APAC insurer, has announced the creation of over 500 AIA financial consultant roles under its financial associate scheme, as per a press release. The scheme is designed to offer greater financial stability for those interested in pursuing a career in financial services via a more stable and structured compensation model, holistic skills training, and managerial career progression paths. The scheme is targeted at fresh graduates, mid-career switches, stay-at-home parents, and women wanting to return to the workforce. Moving up to Hong Kong, the SFC, Hong Kong's Securities and Futures Regulator, has released its 2021 through 2022 annual report, which shows total net asset value of Hong Kong domiciled funds had declined 6.4%, falling to 178.6 billion US dollars from 190.9 billion US dollars the prior year, whilst non-domiciled funds had declined to 1.75 trillion US dollars from 1.84 trillion US dollars over the same period. Funds domiciled in the special administrative region also experienced significant outflows over the period, dropping by 25% to 12.4 billion US dollars from 16.5 billion US dollars in 2021, with bond and equities funds leading outflows with 4.4 billion US dollars and 506 million US dollars respectively. Mixed funds bucked the trend, recording net inflows of 3.2 billion US dollars over the period, as did index funds, which recorded net inflows of 13.7 billion US dollars. The report shows that as of end March 2022, there were a total of 2,849 SFC registered products available to retail investors, with 866 of those domiciled in Hong Kong and 1,381 domiciled outside the territory. Luxembourg was the dominant location of those domiciled outside of the Fragrant Harbour, with the Principality home to 1.75 trillion US dollars, nearly 75% of assets. Finally, there were a total of 160 SFC authorized ETFs, including 28 leveraged and inverse products with total market capitalization of 429.89 billion US dollars. In the private wealth space, private banks and private wealth amounted to total assets of 1.44 trillion US dollars. 
with the raft of cross-border programs and other initiatives in effect, time will tell how the overall investment landscape will change in coming years. Moving on, the SFC has stated that the additional checks and disclosure requirements it has implemented for ESG funds will reduce the risk of greenwashing when compared to funds under the European Union's Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, as reported by Ignites Asia. SFC's Senior Director of Investment Products, Ms. Alexandra Young, stated on a panel that the regulator remains, quote, very concerned about greenwashing, end quote, and that it carefully examined each ESG fund application it received, undertaking its, quote, gatekeeping job properly, end quote, so that risks of greenwashing were not high in the territory. Under the SFDR, Article 8 products only need to promote ESG characteristics, whereas those under Article 9 must incorporate ESG factors as a key investment focus. With regards to Article 8 products, Ms. Young noted that as the ESG focus was something that was, quote, ancillary and not key, end quote, assessing whether these products would meet the SFC definition of ESG products would be, quote, trickier, end quote, to assess. Whereas those under Article 9 would, quote, probably be able to meet the ESG definition in the SFC circular, end quote. Hong Kong's regulators initiated disclosures for ESG-labeled funds and those with an ESG or sustainability focus in April 2019, before updating disclosure requirements in June last year. The SFC has also created a list of green and sustainable funds, launched in 2020, which now boasts 121 entries. As of March this year, assets in these products had reached 142.7 billion US dollars, despite recent record outflows as reported in previous episodes. As regulators take increasingly stronger measures against greenwashing, and despite the fact that no, quote, prominent greenwashing cases, end quote, had been noticed in Hong Kong, whether the SFC's definitions change or remain constant will be watched by the industry. Next up, Samsung Asset Management, a Korean asset manager, has announced the launch of an APAC excluding New Zealand metaverse-themed ETF, as per a press release. The product will list on July 7 at a price point of 15 Hong Kong dollars per unit and board lots of 50 units. Bloomberg estimates the metaverse market could reach 783.3 billion US dollars by 2024, growing at a compound average growth rate of 13.1% since 2020. Samsung also recently launched a blockchain ETF product in Hong Kong, as covered in a previous episode. Moving on, the CEO of Hong Kong's SFC, Mr. Ashley Alder, in a keynote speech at the IFRS Foundation Conference 2022, has stated that a, quote, consistent, systematic approach 
to the disclosure of climate risks, end quote, is needed to inform investors on a range of matters, including the need to, quote, mitigate increasing greenwashing risks, end quote. The statements add to the voices of concern among regulators, investment managers, and investors alike regarding the increasing concerns of greenwashing within the asset and wealth management industry following recent surges in green, sustainable, and ESG products and assets under management, as covered in previous episodes. Mr. Alder went on to call for the adoption of International Sustainability Standards Board standards across Asia, though noting that adoption of these standards had challenges, namely the lack of third-party or externally sourced data. Further challenges to the issues described included that around providing jurisdiction-specific development and asset managers struggling to accurately describe and measure their management of climate risks at the portfolio and firm levels. Whether Hong Kong seeks to address these challenges independently or looks to build wider consensus across APAC regulators will be interesting to see unfold. Next up, China's CSRC, China's main securities regulator, has opened the two Stock Connect schemes between the Hong Kong Exchange and Shenzhen and Shanghai Bourses to open-ended exchange-traded funds, effective July 4, as per a release from the regulators. Following an initial announcement in May this year, sans a specific launch date, CSRC has reportedly informed the Shanghai and Shenzhen stock exchanges, alongside with CSDCC, a central securities depository based in Beijing, to come up with the requisite rules and regulations to enable interconnection mechanisms between the mainland markets and Hong Kong. The announcement follows a statement in May this year, in which CSRC and the SFC announced they had come to a principal agreement to launch the ETF Connect, and that it would take circa two months from that announcement to formally launch said Connect program. At the time, this podcast had interpreted the announcement as meaning that an ETF Connect program would be launched alongside allowing for ETF products to be sold via the Stock Connect programs. So please excuse our misreading and misrepresentation of the situation. Initial requirements indicate that Hong Kong-listed ETFs with at least 1.7 billion Hong Kong dollars in average daily assets over the preceding six months will be eligible for the new Connect scheme, with Chinese-listed ETFs needing 1.5 billion RMB in average daily assets over the same period. Additionally, these ETFs may only include products which primarily track Hong Kong-listed stocks, with no synthetic, leveraged, or inverse ETFs allowed. At time of recording, a total of 83 Chinese ETFs, with 53 Shanghai-listed and 30 Shenzhen-listed, were included, alongside four Hong Kong-listed products. The list of eligible products is to be reviewed every six months. CEO of the SFC, Mr. Ashley Alder, 
stated that, quote, ETF Connect is an important milestone because for the first time, Stock Connect is expanded beyond stock trading, end quote. Further noting that, quote, it will catalyze Hong Kong's growth as an ETF hub and underscore Hong Kong's unique role connecting global capital with the mainland, end quote. The CEO of the Hong Kong Exchange, Mr. Nicholas Aguzin, stated that, quote, the inclusion of ETFs in the Stock Connect will be mutually beneficial to both the mainland Chinese and Hong Kong capital markets. It will support the continued sustainable growth of both at a time when participants and customers are demanding ever more and better connectivity. End quote. The launch of the ETF Connect is seen by many in the financial sector as a gift to Hong Kong on the 25th anniversary of its handover to mainland China, one which will further integrate the financial markets of the two jurisdictions. As with the Wealth Management Connect program, the scheme is seen as starting off in a, quote, prudent manner, end quote, ensuring that risks are managed, though to realize the full potential of the program and attract more participants, the scope of eligible products should be expanded. And now up to mainland China. Beijing News reports that several Chinese banks have announced their robo-advisory platforms will be suspended in the coming months in response to regulators demanding greater know-your-client efforts following new regulations released in November last year which pertain to investment funds. Industry observers believe that the platforms will return to operational status once the banks are briefed on the regulatory changes and enact measures to ensure that they fully comply with them. The service removal will only impact subscriptions to investment products, with redemptions being unaffected. Moving on, Ignites Asia reports that Dahong New Epoch Technology, a technical company specialized in optics, plans to sell its 20% stake in Lion Fund Management for at least 1 billion renminbi, making the announcement via a company statement. Dahong acquired its stake back in 2012, according to public records, at a purchase price of 116 million renminbi though the circa tenfold increase in price does not match the performance of Lion Asset Management over the time period. As of 2021, Lion Asset Management boasted operating income of 1.12 billion RMB, with net profits of 300 million RMB, both of which lag industry averages. It currently has assets under management of 113 billion RMB, according to WIND a Chinese financial information services provider. Whilst the sale is yet to be approved by Dahang's board of directors, if approved, the sale price would be an interesting gauge of the value of public fund manager licenses, as previous sales have seen very high valuations, as covered in previous episodes. Meanwhile, Citic Securities, a Chinese full-service investment bank, 
has reportedly received a letter from Tianjin Haipeng Technology Consulting expressing its desire to divest its 10% stake in China Asset Management Corporation for a proposed 3.3 billion RMB, as reported by Ignites Asia. CITIC has stated it will not exercise its right of first refusal, so its current 62.2% controlling stake of China AMC will be unaffected. Whether McKinsey Financial Corporation, a Canadian investment management company owned by IGM Financial, or Power Corporation of Canada, the parent company of IGM Financial, seek to add to their respective 13.9% ownership stakes remains to be seen. Further, Manulife, a Canadian insurer, recently had its application to increase its stake in its fund management company joint venture, Manulife Tida, from 49% to 100%, officially accepted by regulators, as reported by Reuters. This follows a public disclosure from CSRC, stating that it had made a decision on an application to change the ownership of Manulife Tata by more than 5%, without stating what its decision was. As of end March 2022, Manulife Tita managed retail assets of circa 60 billion RMB. The development also follows events in January this year when Tata Investment Holdings listed its stake in Manulife Tita on an exchange. 1.76 billion RMB and then sought to extend the auction period, as covered in previous episodes. At the time, it was unclear whether the move by Tita was to find a buyer other than Manulife or for other reasons. If the sale to Manulife is approved, what the difference in consideration is between the initial asking price and the final one will be interesting to see. Finally, Goldman Sachs, a U.S. financial conglomerate, has received regulatory approval for its wealth management joint venture with ICBC, one of the big six state-backed Chinese banks, as reported by Ignites Asia. Goldman Sachs will hold 51% of the venture, with ICBC's wealth management subsidiary holding the rest. The approval comes just over one year after initial approval was granted by regulators in May 2021, and it means that the venture can now start launching products. The unit became the fourth such Sino-Foreign Wealth Management joint venture to receive final regulatory approval, with the other three having launched products, as covered in previous episodes. The wait for final regulatory approval appears to be lengthening, generally blamed on COVID-19 measures in Chinese cities obstructing on-site inspections. With Newberger Berman and Fidelity, a US asset manager and an international investment company headquartered in the United Kingdom respectively, awaiting the final step in their application process to be completed before they can start launching products. Moving on. CSRC has issued draft regulations regarding public funds and fund sales agents in China's private pension space, as reported by Ignites Asia. Under the draft rules, target pension funds with average AUM 
of 50 million RMB over the preceding 12 months or other public funds which have, quote, clear investment strategies and good long-term track records, end quote, would be eligible as the scheme expands. For fund sales platforms, those with 20 billion RMB or more in equities and balanced funds over the preceding 12 months, where individual investors own at least 5 billion RMB of such assets, will be eligible for the scheme. Data from WIND reportedly shows 40 fund distributors as qualifying at this time, 15 of which are securities brokerages. As per the draft rules, public fund managers and fund sales agents who participate in this scheme must adopt internal control systems, adopt long-term incentives, and ensure independent trustee oversight of the pension assets. Fund managers should also have separate share classes for funds sold under the initiative. And for those shares, no sales charges should be collected, along with encouragement to forego subscription fees and offer discounts on management and custody expenses. Currently, there are a reported 40 qualifying pension target date funds and 59 target risk funds which meet the requirements. The draft regulations also prohibit ratings agencies from ranking or commenting on eligible funds based on their short-term gains or AUM, with a minimum period of five years before fund performance can be assessed. CSRC has also authorized CSDCC to create a trading platform for products on the private pension scheme. To participate, investors need to create a personal account on the platform called the Fund Industry Platform, which they can do through a range of intermediaries, including banks, brokerages, and fund sales channels, as per a release from China Clear. The private pension scheme will be launched in selected cities for a one-year period before expanding. The launch dates and initial cities are yet to be announced. The regulations around public funds and fund sales agents are the first of four directives, as covered in previous episodes, and the remaining three are expected to be announced soon. And now on to China fund news. The Securities Times reports that eight large public fund managers have received regulatory approval to launch China's first carbon neutrality-themed exchange-traded funds. The fund management firms comprise eFund, Guangfa, ICBC Credit Suisse, China Universal, Fulgol, China Southern, China Merchants, and Dacheng. And approvals came a reported two months after they had filed applications to launch the products in late April this year. Each firm will manage one ETF, which replicates the CSI SEEE Carbon Neutral Index, a benchmark developed by Shanghai Energy and Environment Exchange, the Shanghai Stock Exchange, and China Securities Index, which became active on 20 January 2022. 
and includes 100 companies listed in Shanghai and Shenzhen. Circa 66% of the entities in the index promote the green economy, including new energy car manufacturers, clean energy, and energy storage, with the remaining companies largely involved in carbon emission reduction. US-based hedge fund Two Sigma has seen investors pour into its onshore feeder trust product, with 1.2 billion renminbi invested over a matter of days. The product is managed by China Resources Trust, a state-backed investment firm that provides fund management and financial services to non-financial firms, and was distributed by several banks and brokerages. Two Sigma obtained its private fund management license back in 2019, and prior to the latest fundraising, managed a reported 3.8 billion renminbi. Finally, funds which track Shanghai's Star Bourse have generally seen positive returns since their launch, with 52 of the 76 public funds tracking listings on the board seeing an average return of 32%, and nine of these funds seeing returns of over 100% over the last three years, with the top performing fund recording returns of 151.2% since launching in May 2019. The funds usually enforce a lockup period of three years following their launch, and it will be interesting to see if massive redemptions are observed in the next few months as initial investors take their gains. So that is it for the week of June 27 through July 1st, 2022. From our perspective, it is interesting to see that in Singapore, there remains a mismatch between investors' intentions to invest in ESG and sustainability products and their actual follow-through in doing so, noting the differences between how many individuals wanted to invest or were engaged in investing in these products and the actual portfolio allocation towards ESG investments. The eventual launch of the ETF Connect between Hong Kong and the Chinese bourses years after it was first floated is an interesting development for the market. Though when looking at other ETF cross-border connect programs that China has entered into, namely between Japan and South Korea, take up between products on these exchanges by local investors has not been high. So if the ETF connect between Hong Kong and mainland China is a success, that will likely further cement Hong Kong's leading role as the main bridge in capital markets between China and the outside world. And finally, seeing the raft of foreign asset managers look to either increase their stakes in their onshore operations in China or the approval of such onshore operations is good to see. Certainly, we would hope and expect a multitude more of foreign asset managers and investment managers to look to establish operations on the mainland or look to expand their existing operations given the barriers have come down in recent years and there are now essentially no limits on the shareholdings they can have across the majority of financial operations they can enter into on the mainland. However, 
those are just our thoughts. Let us know your thoughts in the comments below. If you enjoyed this episode, do leave us a like and share with someone else you think would be interested in it. If you didn't enjoy this episode, thank you very much for sticking around this long. And do let us know in the comments which key trends and headlines we should have included, but we didn't. From all of us at Three Lions AWM, thank you very much for tuning in. We hope you join us next time. <laughs>